0: Welcome to the Codecast Podcast, real world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Codecast Podcast. My name is Terry Fletcher. So today is the 247th episode of the CodeCast podcast. And today on July 12th, I'm going to do something just a little different. We've had a lot of announcements by Medicare, by CMS. Uh, AMA has put out some new add-on codes that hit the new technology section that I'm going to use as a coding question. And so this is going to be my mixed bag of what we call Medicare um, physician Fee Schedule announcements. How's that? And that's what it'll be titled uh, when you go to look for the when you go to look for the download. So just be aware that I just want to make sure that you have all of the current information because we will have some uh, educational offerings as far as webinars coming up soon. But you need to at least have the alerts, otherwise you could be blindsided later on. So I don't want that to happen. So we've had not only some fee schedule announcements, we've also had some changes in the. Uh, EM services, what's going to happen for 2023. So I'm going to just touch on those as well. And just making sure that you kind of have the gist and then uh, really look for those educational uh, webinars and seminars and things like that so that you can get the materials and kind of the ever- more detailed information on what's going on. Okay, so let's get started. Where do I want to start with this? Well, how about if we start with the fee schedule? So one thing that drives me kind of crazy, and you'll probably hear Sean Weiss and I talk about this on his Compliance Guide podcast um, with me next week. But everybody only reads headlines. So it's like, people, you need to stop just reading the headlines. We need to make sure that you're reading the entire detailed article. Otherwise, you're going to get bad information. And even on one of my associations, then societies that I belong to, somebody posted something out, and I won't call that person out, but they posted something and basically just said, tell Health's going to be covered on in 2023 after PHE ends. I'm like, stop, stop, stop. We don't know that. We don't know to what extent. We don't know how much they're going to cover on. And it was audio only is what she said. And I'm just like, this is what the proposed rule says. And remember, under the CAA or Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021 and 2022, uh, MedPAC, the commission that basically told OIG and um, Medicare and Congress told them and said, hey, you guys need to study this and figure out what's going on. So here's what the proposed rule is for 2023. It's not pretty. I'm not going to lie to you. It's it's going to reflect quite a bit in reimbursement adjustments on the downside um, for physicians. And so we we have to be mindful of what we're looking at here. So they always talk about rate setting. And whenever you see the two-digit acronym, CY, that's calendar year, and it's 2023, PFS, physician fee schedule, and here's what they're looking at here. So, and they give you a bunch of, you know, CMS speak about, oh, this is data setting and this is promote transparency and this is per statutory requirements. Just give us the bottom line. Okay. So they say with budget neutrality adjustments, see, they still do that. And they keep saying, oh, as required by law? It may be, but they're attacking the, the Medicare program um, because wait till you see what they're doing. So. The conversion factor for 2023, and remember I had mentioned not too long ago, I think in one of my Medicare quarterly webinars, that MedPAC had recommended that there be no raise in the physician fee schedule. Hospitals, yes, physicians, no, which makes no sense to me with staffing shortages, uh, inflation, costs rising, supply costs. So I was very surprised. There's also the expiration of the 3% increase, um, basically cost of living in the provider Uh, in the physician fee schedule for 2022, that expired, which I don't know why. So what the conversion factor is looking like in 2023 is 33.08. Now that's about a 4% decrease or a decrease of $1.53 from what we have now, which is 34.60. But remember what we have now at 34, it's actually technically 34.61. It's like 34.60.99999. But what we have now, remember the sequestration, 2% kicked in um, on July 1st. Those of you that against my advice took the advanced accelerated Medicare payments, you're now seeing probably anywhere from a 30 to 50 percent reduction on your Medicare payments that's going to continue until you pay back all that money. That was only the that was the one provider relief loan that was actually a loan. Everything else was something that they could that you get to keep without having to pay it back as long as you reported it correctly. But put that on top of the what they call pay as you go. From the 1.9 trillion dollar, they called the American Relief, the the Biden plan. Um, that's actually going to be another 4% reduction as of January 2023, and it just it it's frightening to me to see this. So, not only are we getting 4% to the fee schedule, 4% added in 2023 to pay for everything that they're doing from these, and I'm air quoting relief funds. And remember, half of that doesn't even stay in the U.S. Half of it goes outside. But they attack Medicare. And then whatever you're having offsets on your uh, checks for the uh, Budget Control Act of 2011, so the sequestration, and then if you took out any Medicare payments, they're now offsetting checks for that. So that's a lot of money. And to me, at some point, we're going to be paying Medicare to use Medicare. So just be aware of that. So moving on from the fee schedule. Um, there's also, when you look at the cms.gov newsroom fact sheet, make sure you pull that up because there's, there's a 60-day, that's why they call these a, um, proposed uh, information, proposed fee schedule announcement. There's a 60-day window where you can comment on it. So there's a comment area. But there's something, they're also soliciting public comments on strategies for improving global surgical package valuations and paying more accurately for the global package under the physician fee schedule. So that tells me two things. That tells me that they're not going to do away with the global package just yet, as they said they were going to about 10 years ago, um, but they're looking to maybe add to it that it gives a little bit more value in the work value under the RVU for the physician on that global uh, amount, especially for 90-day services. E&M services, so as part of the ongoing updates to ENM, and m um, I did mention this before, but now you want to make sure you're aware. It looks like, and this is the proposal effective January 1st, 2023, that all of the EM services are going to catch up to the 2021 office and other outpatient uh, documentation guidelines where you can either base your visit on time or on medical de- decision making. So there's going to be new descriptor times which is going to be a code range. Expect those to increase just like it did for office visits. Um, there's going to be revised interpretive guidelines for levels of decision making. Um, there's going to be a choice again of medical decision making or time Except for a few um, certain code families like emergency to visits or cognitive uh, impairment assessments, those are not time services. And then they will not have you count bullets on 95-97 guidelines on history and exam to determine code level but they will put in something again that says there still is a requirement for a medically appropriate history and exam. These are these are good updates. I I do like these updates as long as the physicians don't abuse the time aspect. So they're basically saying we want to um, maintain and encourage uh, the current billing practices that apply to the E&M rules that were adopted in 2021 but leave enough um, open air there, I guess, for potential revisions in future rulemaking. Now here's one that's interesting. I just taught a webinar on Wednesday last week for split and shared visits. And of course, guess what they're proposing? So for calendar year 2023, they're proposing to delay the split shared visit policy of only using time. Remember right now it's as they call this the transition year for split or shared visits in the hospital setting and said that it only um, for right now you can use the substantive portion whoever did most of the work or uh, from a documentation and face-to-face with the patient perspective um, or time well in they said now in 2023 they're proposing to delay for a year Um, that the definition of substantive portion be eliminated and just keep it as it is for right now. Meaning that you can use history, performing a physical exam, making a medical decision, or spending uh, more than half the total time by the practitioner who bills the visit. So they want to make sure under the proposal clinicians who furnish or split visits will continue to have the choice of either the entire record or more than half the time. And I think this is actually good. And they are proposing this, that they delay that for until 2024. Expect that to go through. So I want to talk to you about what they're proposing for the telehealth services and I'm going to go a little slower here. I know I tend to talk fast only because I want you to be clear on this and I don't want you to have misinformation and that drives me crazy because I see people saying, oh, guess what you get? No, 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 don't mislead people. So it says for calendar year 2023, they are proposing a number of policies related to Medicare telehealth services, including making several services that are temporarily available right now during the PHE available through 2023 on a category three basis, meaning again temporary because they want to allow more time for collection of data that could support their eventual inclusion as permanent additions to the Medicare telehealth list. They also are proposing to extend the duration of that time, that services are temporarily included on the telehealth service list, but are not included in a Category 1, 2, or 3 basis for a period of 151 days following the end of PHE in alignment with the Consolidated Appropriations Act. They're also proposing to implement the telehealth provisions of the Appropriations Act via program instruction or other subregulatory guidance to sh- ensure a smooth transition after the PHE. So the policies extend certain flexibilities to 151 days, as you know, once the PHE ends. And the public health emergency is supposed to, is supposed to end July 15th, but we don't know. I'm assuming they're gonna extend it again, just because they like doing that. Um, and they said that they were gonna give a 60-day notice, but we'll see what happens. Um, we'll, we have two weeks to figure that out but such as allowing telehealth services to be furnished in any geographic location, in any originating site, that's where the patient is, including the patient's home, allowing certain services to be furnished, audio only. Here's where the person that put something out basically said, guess what, we get audio only. It said certain services. If you miss those two words, you're giving wrong information to your physicians. So they're saying they're proposing to allow certain services to be furnished audio only, such as physical therapist, OT, speech language and audiologist. I don't agree with that. So you better believe I'm going to be a loud uh, stakeholder in, in that uh, comment section. There's no way you can get accurate information over the phone from a physical therapist. If you, if you'd know how to do that, you let me know. An audiologist, you can't hear everything on the phone, especially if you have a bad connection since everybody now is using a cell phone. Very few people have landlines. They're also delaying the in-person visit, uh, or 2022 delays the in-person visit requirement for mental health services under the CAA until 152 days after the PHE ends. They're, um, require- they are also considering putting that in the final rule. They're proposing that telehealth claims, and this is a big one will require the appropriate place of service indicator to be included on the claim rather than the 95 modifier after a period of the 51 days following the end of the PHE. And then the modifier 93 will be available to indicate if it's audio only technology um, for certain services. So we're holding that until after the PHE and it looks like till after that 51 days. So they're, they're trying to transition because it sounds like they do want the public health emergency to end, which it should end because that's crazy. And then there are uh, behavioral health services. Now I fully expect behavioral health services to be covered under telehealth permanently. They've already added some things permanently under the 42 CFR 410-26, but we have to make sure that you understand also Incident 2 regulations, so they're proposing to make the exception to the direct supervision requirement under the Incident 2 to allow behavioral health services provided under the general supervision of, phys- of a physician or qualified healthcare professional rather than under direct supervision. And then When they say that these services are provided by uh, non-physician practitioners, they call them auxiliary personnel, they have to be incident to a physician, meaning the physician would have to be there uh, in the practice and initiated care. So keep an eye on the behavioral health strategy, they're calling it. And so um, just kind of just look at that because that could be kind of interesting. Um, they go into audiology, audiology services, some opioid services, dental and oral health that they want to add to some of the policies, um, colorectal can, cancer screening. So they want to, they're proposing two to updates on this and I thought this was interesting um, and I actually really like this. So if you took one of my Medicare quarterly uh, webinars. There are some updates on out-of-pocket for patients based on what year they've had it. And I thought it was a little spread out, but they at least included it. For right now, you know, patients still have to pay 20% if you have a screening that turns into a, a, a actual procedure. So they have to pay 20% on um, their uh, surgical or therapeutic option, and then it goes down to 15% in a couple years, and 10%, and by 2030, boy, hold on to that. Within you know the next eight years, then or after eight years, then it goes down to nothing out of pocket for the patient when that happens. But here's the what they're trying to do under the Preventative Task Force, and they're trying to propose to expand Medicare coverage for certain colorectal cancer screening tests. Uh, colonoscopy is one, by reducing the age limitation from 50 to 45. And they're proposing to expand the regulatory definition of colorectal cancer screening test to to, um, include a follow-on screening colonoscopy after a Medicare-covered non-invasive stool-based colorectal cancer screening returns as a positive test. So what they're trying to do is actually uh, prevent... Um, or actually add through the prevention and early detection services and I really appreciate that at least they're moving that in the right direction because right now it's 50 years or older um, we've got limitations on frequency and they're they're trying to basically adjust that to what's happening right now and not have patients wait if there is you know a potential problem. There's some new information on the preventative vaccine administration um, and this isn't just about COVID. Some of it is regarding the antibodies, but just you know keep in mind some of those services. They're going to add a new chronic pain management and behavioral health integration services to the uh, rural health clinics and federally qualified health care clinics and specific general managed care, and they've given them some HCSPix G codes uh, for that. So uh, take a look at that. And then um, same thing with telehealth for the uh, RHCs and FQHCs. So, and they really talk about uh, mental health. And so they wanna talk about, you know, after the PHE ends, are they gonna be allowed to furnish audio only telecommunication? And I think that, again, people seem to miss the certain services. They say allowing certain services, and those are not for audio only, and those are not ENM services. So they may not even be the phone call codes because we have a G code. Uh, for that so really make sure you're taking a look at all of the details of that before you jump right in and say oh now we can bill an office visit for audio only you cannot nowhere in the rules does it say that and I, I was really not happy when I saw somebody say oh guess what it says now it's like no do not put that generic statement out because that would be erroneous okay so we had a couple other things that came up I want to make sure you're aware of this the, for those of you, and this is my cardiology question of the week. So we had somebody say, or I get this all the time, Terry, my doctor's doing shockwave lithotripsy uh, services, um, and they're doing it for coronary arteries. Well, we've always been told to build this as an angioplasty, or if you do a stent in the coronary artery, even in the non-coronary extremities. Then it's included in your stent because that includes PTA or PTCA, which is the coronary um, or and non-coronary angioplasty, which is the balloon to open the vessel. But we've received a new add-on code, and remember, AMA CPT adds add-on new technology codes uh, to their website um, usually at July, so the six-seven month period. And so it's not in your book; it's on their website. And this new code for coronary shockwave, and they call it lithotripsy. Is 0715T? There's no reimbursement for it. You would have to negotiate a reimbursement amount um, to your with your payer, and so and your MAC payer. So you also you now have a code. Um, and I've had a doctor say, "Well, can I go back to still using the angioplasty if that's all I'm doing that vessel?" I'm like, "No." You basically have to use this add-on code because now they're saying that if you're doing shockwave lithotripsy, it's add-on to the primary procedure. It's not a standalone. And so it's a different way to code, a different way to look at it. So make sure that, um, you're aware of the 715 T always have somebody in your office or your billing office that is responsible for checking out what's new on the AMA website. Otherwise you're going to miss a lot of things. Another thing that came up, okay, so the place of service 10. So remember the place of service 10 that basically came out and said this is for telehealth services provided to a patient who's in their home. Used to be O2, but now that's for outside their home. That was new in 2022 in the CPT book. But there was a little um, sentence in there that said this will be available to Medicare in April of this year. Well, available to Medicare and mandated by Medicare are two different things. So the Consolidated Appropriations Act proposed the Medicare fee schedule and expanded, you know, mental health. And they created some, um, This basically this place of service code to accommodate for that. But then there were some Hicks-Picks uh, modifiers to deal with the, the mental health and behavioral health services. But Medicare had said in several stakeholder calls in several of their publications do not use these places services even though they are now available to us until after the PHE ends. Medicare has said that all throughout the public health emergency since March of 2020. They're just like don't do it until the PHE ends and as soon as it ends then we'll get back to you know non-regulatory implementation where you're now going to go back to what CPT says, what Medicare agrees or doesn't agree with what AMA says, etc. Well, we had some practices that went back and used the the place of service 10. And again, that's when the patient was in their home and they got it wasn't that it was inaccurate it was if you used it, you didn't get paid the way you're getting paid now as if the patient was in the office with place of service 11. So a couple of practices used it. One did it as a test practice. And for example, they did it on office visit and she said it went down from $120 to 108 so they took about a 20% uh, cut. So if you use that place of service 10 right now before the public health emergency ends for any Medicare patient, I'm not saying commercial, if they tell you to do it, do whatever you know, you've know you signed your contract for, but if it's Medicare, you're going to take a 20% reduction. So that's up to you. You want to change that over and you want to take the reduction, it's up to you. But right now, Medicare is not looking at that uh, during a, the public health emergency. They'll accept it, but they will accept it on what they're probably going to do when they change payment parity once they public health emergency ends. They only made the the payment parity on telehealth, meaning you get paid the same as in person, so that physicians weren't drowning when they were mandated to shut their offices down. Well, almost three years into this now, or two and a half years into this, they're finding it's very expensive uh, when a patient's not getting an in-person exam, and there isn't a way to actually see The reality of the patient's condition, except through audio and video, but you're getting paid the same, and you're not also not having to staff as much. So, this is where they're going to, I'm positive, adjust the payments. But be aware of that because that can definitely be um, an issue. So, my personal tidbit this week I hope everyone had a nice Fourth of July holiday last weekend. We actually went and saw. Um, the um, Top Gun Maverick. It was actually pretty good. I would say 9.4 out of 10. I prefer the original, um, but it was very good. Very little bit predictable, but it was really good. So if you get a chance to go see it, definitely go see it. It was worth it. And thank you, everybody. Again, we're at 360,000 downloads and listens. If you get a chance, please uh, shoot us a ratings and review on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, um, Amazon Podcasts, wherever you listen to us. We're on over 35 platforms right now and we love seeing uh, your positive feedback so it's really helpful to us so again have a great rest of your week make it a great day and thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast for more information on medical coding billing auditing and compliance including how to hire Terry follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net podcast producer Joe Kuzma Music producer: Assassin Music.